Jeremiah chapter 2, let's roll that. I want And this actually flows into uh, our conversation. So that's why I came in a little fired up today. Uh, it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. It had nothing to do with flying uh, flags at half-mast. It had to do with leading out of my conversation on Sunday where I was talking to you about uh, we need to be Christians who are thinkers. We need to be Christians who use our minds. And so if you look at Jeremiah chapter 2, um, picking it up uh, in verse 4, I'm just going to start reading as you're going there, by the way, and then we're going to jump to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to talk to you just to really bring um, your messages. As a Christian, how are we to think about life? How are we to think about life? So let me open this in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would just settle our hearts and our minds and put us at ease right now. God, I pray that as we look at how we should think and how we should see our country, uh, God, I just pray that we would hear, um, uh, that we would hear your word that we would see the challenge, we'd see the, the challenge that the weeping prophet Jeremiah gave uh, to the children of Israel, um, and at the same time really see it in our own lives and our heart, and that we would turn out to drive our country and the people around us in the right way, in the right space, in the right place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So how do we think as a Christian? Well, um, how many of you remember the uh, death of a salesman? You remember that uh, death of a salesman? You remember it wasn't Willie Loman, uh, it turns out, and you go through the whole dialogue. And uh, his whole life, if you come to the end of the book, what? His whole life, or the end of the, end of the story, his whole life was what? Somebody say it. It, it was a sham. His whole, whole life was a sham. It was a fake. And you remember, it was his son named Biff. I just remember one phrase. I, did, I didn't pay attention much in high school English. But I remember the last phrase because I used to say it around people. Uh, it was one of those things that, uh, that, 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 that you get a phrase that catches and you start slamming other guys with it. That's the way we did. When we, when we were in English, listening to literature, we just listened for phrases where I could throw my buddies under the, under the bus. And at the end of the day, it's Biff who's talking to his mom after he's find out that his dad was never really a good salesman. They were in total debt. They weren't as rich as they thought. They didn't have the investments. The big sale never, was never coming in. And then if you remember the story, he actually is in Boston. He fails something, needs his dad help. His dad says he'll show up, and it turns out his dad's been having an affair the whole time. If you remember the whole story, and at the end of the day, Biff looks at his mom as they're crying, as they've realized their dad's life is a sham. And you remember the statement that he made. He says, she says, he, he says to his mom, Mom, his real problem was dad never knew who he really was. And, and that's kind of a reality of sometimes that, that I think Christians and believers will roll through life and, and we, we make decisions, sometimes moral, sometimes immoral. We uh, make business decisions, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, once we make a bad one, a lot of times, and this is what we see right now, we pretend that we're not in front of someone else. We, we, we know we did something bad, so we want to hide that. Then when we, when we can't hide it, we stand up and we say, no, I didn't make that decision. We see this going on right now, right? The reality of it is the answer is we don't know who we are. And so I want to talk to us today about who are we as believers and how should we think about life? If we're coming off the sermon that I just preached of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength, we talked about Sunday loving God with all of our mind. Well, let me go to... Um, now let me go to real quickly to Jeremiah uh, chapter 2. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, picking up verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, the descendants of Jacob, all the clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find with me? 
that they strayed so far from me. They followed worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through the land and the deserts and the ravines, a land, uh, that, a land of drought and, uh, uh, and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into then a fertile land to eat its fruit and its rich produce, but you come and defile the land. Made by the inheritance, uh, made my, and you made my inheritance detestable. Look at verse 8. It says, The priest did not ask, Where is the Lord? Uh, those who deal with, uh, uh, with the low did not know me. Then it, then it says, The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied Baal, following worthless idols. Then if you jump down to verse 11, it says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Uh, man, what a thought. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Then it says, verse 13, jump to verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. You've heard that phrase before. They've dug their own cisterns, uh, then broken cisterns that cannot hold, broken cisterns that, that they cannot hold water. You know, as you think about Israel, and boy, uh, Jeremiah just kind of lays out the path of a country, the four-stage path towards destruction of a country. If you look, first of all, uh, the ancestors uh, made choices, right? Previous generations made choices. Uh, that's how Jeremiah started talking about it. What did, your, what did your ancestors do? What choices did they make that they left me, that they walked away from me, that they didn't follow me? And the truth is... Um, Every generation looks at the younger generation and says, this generation's going to pot. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Okay, here is a secret for y'all. You are the generation that's raising that generation. If you are not raising that generation, you are the generation that raised the parents that are raising that generation. So guess what? That probably means that the ancestors made some decisions that are impacting the current generation. So the reality of it is this, is number one, if we want to make sure our country comes back, and by this, I'm not even in the sermon yet, by the way. Uh, if we want to make some decisions, we got to step back and be honest about who we are. If you're in your olden and golden years, don't walk through your life and operate in the generations of your family as if you were always perfect. You need to be honest about where you failed and where you dropped the ball. And back when I was in my 40s, let me tell you what, I about destroyed my marriage, and you're 80 now. Does that make sense? Let's don't try to sugarcoat everything. You've got to talk to the generation. Let me tell you some of the mistakes I made. I'm pretty wealthy now. Let me tell you what, you go back and take me when I was 35 or 40 or something like that. These are all hypotheticals, by the way. Don't say, man, this pastor's messed up. Uh, you need to look at the next generation, and you say, hey, listen, let me, let me tell you what, there was a season about 30 years ago I was broke I went and started my own business and didn't make I had to relaunch I'm bankrupt we moved out of our house you know when we moved back then it's because we were broke I, we, we need to tell morally I blew it you know I, I blew up if you're in a second marriage don't act like you know look at your I'm the one that destroyed my first marriage it's okay as an ancestor to tell the truth and so if we want to see this, the, the decline of our country, you can probably, and today, you can probably look at the previous generations 
And I love to honor the greatest generation. I've read the book. Was it Tom Brokaw that wrote the book? Who was it? Yeah, Tom. I love that book. I, I love looking at, you know, they won, won two world, world wars. They did a lot of incredible things. But the reality, it wasn't a perfect generation. It was just a generation who knew how to win. All right, you go into battle, they knew how to win. But they weren't perfect in the generation to follow and the generation to follow. And then if you look at the generation that went through the Vietnam War, what a sad war, what a political war. We, we didn't even try to win. You got a lot of broken men that came back. Then you got the forgotten men that served in Korea, right? That, that, that almost just no one remembers them at all. They don't get the high profile, but there were people that served. My father-in-law served in Korea. Um, and, and the reality of it is we need to look at our generations and be honest about ourselves. And what we need to understand is someday, guys, we will be the ancestors that will be talked about by future generations. How many of you know what I'm saying? If you're in here and you're 30-something, when we talk about our ancestors, we're talking about a couple of generations in the past. Someday we will be that ancestor we're talking about. There will be generations that just have pictures of you. Gene and I have just recently moved. You know what you do when you, when you move? You throw a bunch of stuff in boxes that were in boxes the last time you moved. It was up in the attic, right? And every time because I'm, I'm dumb enough and I, think I'm, I, I'm, I still think I'm young enough to move myself. <laughs> and so I go get some workers and we start piling things in. We start moving and I realize, I will tell you, here's what I... Anybody familiar with that uh, wonderful gospel singer, Toby Keith? Y'all familiar with him? About the time we come out of our house and move everything, and I've got three, tuck, truck, three trucks, three trailers, uh, and I've got a couple of guys that are working with me. Got a couple of guys that are working with me. About the time we spend all morning getting all the big stuff loaded on the trailer, that song, that gospel song, that Jesus-loving gospel song from Toby Keith. What, y'all, y'all help me with it. Uh, um, I ain't the man I used to be. What's, what, how's that go? I ain't, I ain't as good as I once was. So you sing that song a lot every morning. Uh, looking in the mirror, I ain't. The, <laughs> yeah. and, but I'm as good as I am once. Well, the reality of it is, I, what was going through that, I remember singing that thinking, well, the once was me getting it out of the house and onto the trailer. The, the, the facts are I got to get it back into a different house. But we're loading up. The, and, and it's been interesting to me. I've just been looking through these pictures. I've been surf, surfacing some pictures. And my mom came up last weekend. And if you all saw her, my mom is wonderful. She's uh, uh, mid-80s. She, is just, she just works her tail off. She wanted to come up to help her move, help us move. She's the kind of person that I had to lie to her about when I was moving uh, because it, her help includes getting in my way because she wants to talk to me about everything. Well, my answer was, I want to get it out of one house and into the next house. And so I told her, hey, I'm moving this day. Uh, So I actually moved that day. So when she showed up, then she can start talking all she wants. There were several times I found myself pulling out some black and white pictures and going, who is this? And she would say, oh, that's your so-and-so. And let me tell you what, you don't have to go far back in my family tree to find some horses rears. If you don't know anything, my, my, my family, you call me a Houston family. If you go back, my family is really in Terre Haute, Indiana, all a bunch of corn and hog farmers. But what happened is my dad's mom and dad uh, had an inappropriate tryst. And back in that day, grandpa's little queen, little princess didn't like it, and so they were going to kill him. So that's how my whole family got to Houston. That's why I grew up in Houston. That's how I got down there. 
He grew up the son of an alcoholic, was walking down the road one day when he was 19. Chuck Swindoll grew up with my church. How many of y'all have heard Chuck Swindoll? Well, y'all have heard a lot of his sermons because every Sunday morning when I'm ready to preach, I Google Chuck Swindoll's sermon. I just read it to y'all. Um, <laughs> But uh, they, they grew up together in Houston, and if you go back, you, every once in a while you'll hear Chuck Swindoll tell a story about the meanest man he ever knew, and that was my dad. And he will say his name, Harlan Caton, because my dad grew up in an abusive home defending his mom and would fight anybody. One day he was walking down the road in Houston, Texas. One night as a 19-year-old kid all by himself, I just walked out of a fight and a battle. And he heard music, and you, you know how sometimes those old churches in the middle of the city, you walk up the stairs and into a little church, and a guy was preaching a sermon, and he slipped in the back, and that's how my dad got saved. He was the first Christian in my family. That's how he turned his family around, all right? That's how he turned his family around. Now, all my life, although my dad was doing his best to lead us in the right way, the thing he always struggled with was anger. You could see my dad till the day he died. You could you could have gotten whooped by him in about a nanosecond, and and he wouldn't have known it happened until after it happened. That was kind of his deal. But he changed. But then I began to look at pictures, and his dad was worse than him. And the reality, he began to change. And so you look at our ancestors, and what is it about? We're going to be that generation someday, someday, guys. And so we've got to start making decisions now so future generations don't look at us and go, they had everything. They had everything, but they made choices. And that's a stage of decline. Look at the second thing. It says they had prophetic duplicity. It says what? The priest, the teachers of the law that should have been teaching people to be faithful to God, they begin to teach their own stuff. Anybody see that today? Man, people fill in their pockets, pastors fill in their pockets. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, when you know, there, there, there are pastors that write great books. I just wrote a book. Notice we gave it away. Well, part of that is, you know, if, if, you, if you buy it, the money's going to missions anyway. I'm just blessed to be your pastor. You know, y'all, y'all pay me well. I've got a personnel team and a stewardship. They, they take care of me. Uh, I don't need to write a book and make more money. I don't need to do that. That's just not who I am. But the most important thing you need in your pastor or the next pastor or the pastor after him is someone that's going to teach you God's Word, guys. And he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to dance around. He's going to tell you the truth. When we screw up, we screw up. When we do right, we're going to encourage you. That's the kind of pastor that you need. But, but, but notice what Jeremiah said. He said, the priest... If you go over to Jeremiah 6, he says the same thing. He says, from the prophet even to the priest, everyone is greedy for gain. In other words, what were they saying? They were saying, hey, Doug, if you want me to come over and bless your farm and bless your animals, throw me some bucks, and I'll come over there and do it. From the prophet even to the priest, each one is greedy for gain. So the ancestors had begun to go astray. Well, guess what they did? When they were going astray, instead of the prophet and the priest wanting to be dislocated from the people, what did the prophet and the priest do? He wanted to be accepted by the people. So what do they do? They go over there and begin to say, hey, that's okay, and that's okay, and that's okay, and that's okay. Why? Let me tell you what. Prophets and priests are just like people. How many of you know that? I want you to know this may shock you. Your pastor has feelings. Your pastor's family has feelings. I'll be humble about a lot of things. You attack my family, you're going to get the worst. You ain't getting Pastor John Mark anymore. Okay, you attack my kids, you're not going to get Pat, you're going to get John Mark and you're not going to like it. You're going to get husband, you're going to get dad, you're not going to like it. You want to talk to me about the church, you'll probably get the pastor. 
you'll probably get the pastor. You talked about my preaching, you'll get an amen from my wife. Yeah, he ain't any good. All right? So the reality of it is when the people begin to make a decision to walk away, the prophets and the priests followed the people instead of leading the people. I think it was Socrates once says, he who goes out to lead people and finds himself after a season of walking with no one following, he's just taking a walk. And the reality of it is this, that, that the prophets and the, and the priests were leading the people and the people began to be stubborn and go away. Instead of the prophets staying faithful, knowing that a remnant would repent, the prophets begin to say, okay, well, if this is the direction you're going, we're going to go this direction. And that's when we would always want to be careful as a church. That if you're going the wrong way and I'm going the wrong way, we're together going the wrong way, I want you to know. Two wrongs don't make it right. So what is our guiding post? It's something outside of us. It's God's Word. That's why we got to be thinkers, okay? Now, we can all have opinions on how to reach the lost and how to reach children and how to reach youth, and we can all have opinions about, uh, about, uh, about what kind of music. I don't know if y'all know. Did y'all know that people differ about what kind of music we could sing at the church? Did, you, did y'all know? That's an issue in some churches. That's sarcasm that I just said. The truth is, man, prophets and priests, they just want to be with the people. They want to be loved by the people. They want to love the people. That's who they were. And so the prophets and the priests, now notice it doesn't stop there. Now notice this. There's also a national desertion. You find that in uh, picking up verse 8, and it says, The leaders rebelled against me. Man, what is he talking? That, That word leader is talking about the rulers. So here you have the ancestors going away. You have the prophets and the priests going away. You have the national leaders wanting to stuff money in their pockets. Anybody know any country like that at all? Right? The reality of it is that's where it is. That's where we have to understand, man, this is the third stage. The national leaders say, man, if the people are going that way and the prophets and priests are going that way, why shouldn't I go that way? Right? And so now you have, that's the third stage. Man, you've got a country, a people of God that are in full decline by now. And then notice the last stage. Then, then, then my people committed two sins. They just said, you know what? We're not going to go back to God's Word. We're going to dig our own cisterns. These cisterns are not going to hold water. Uh, They're broken. And so that's a stage and a place of decline. Part of what we have to do as God's children, part of what we have to do as a church is not sit there and attack a reality of a world around us that don't know God. We can't attack, walk by and attack people's morality. Uh, we can't attack their life. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't clear that it's sin is sin, all right? What are we supposed to do instead? We're supposed to go be light in dark spaces. How many of you understand that? Man, the church is supposed to be filled with broken people who are being healed by God. That's the reality. Let me tell you what, you are here in God's house, in the gospel, as a broken person that is being healed by God. That's who we are. But for the grace of God, there go I. And that's the attitude we need to have. And we pick on you a lot, and, and, and you deserve every bit of it. But thanks for being a witness and inviting someone to church. But that shouldn't be the exception. That should be the rule. How many of you are going to go and not have any conversations with anybody today? Okay, guess what? Then you, 
you've got somebody that you need to invite to church, that you need to engage with in faith. You need to talk uh, with uh, uh, about faith. I've got a text message. He's not here today. Uh, I wouldn't have pointed him out. I've got a text message from a guy that, that comes in here. And he walked out of the sermon yesterday, and so by the time I got to 11, it's not uncommon that, that some people that have my text message, if I say something dumb in a sermon, which is all of them, uh, some of y'all sweet guys, you'll text me and say, did you really say this? And usually it's merging of words, and, 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 it, and, and I knew I said it, and I just rolled on and ignored it. Uh, but he, said, he says, listen, what I was challenged with is that I work around lost people who espouse crazy beliefs all the time, and I never say anything. And he goes, and you've challenged me. And I encouraged him. I encouraged him, and he goes, no, no, it won't take me long to engage in a conversation. The reality of it is he was, he was acknowledging what many of us do. We're surrounded all the time by things that are crazy, but we don't step in and say something. Why? Because we either don't feel equipped, we don't know what to say, we don't want to be placed as an outsider or separated and be pushed aside. And so, man, I love I loved his honesty. That, that I'm in these conversations like you talked about on Sunday, Pastor, all the time, and I never say anything because I'm not equipped, I'm not ready. But he says, this week, and I thought it's funny, he said, it won't take me long. What was he saying? He's saying... I'm in this conversation every day with people I work with, and I just sit mum or silent or I go the way. My encouragement to you is look for opportunities. Now, you don't have to always pull out the bully pulpit and step up, and as soon as someone says something different, you pull out your Bible and you begin to rip them up. I would encourage you not to. But engage your mind and say, so, so let, me, let me ask you what you're, so what you're saying is this, the reality. I mean, and, and sometimes it's self-evident. What they're saying is really self-defeating. If you just think through, that's why uh, if you look forward in, uh, at the end of February, 1st of March, we're going to bring a Rethink Conference back, which is really helping young people. It's really helping young people to defend their faith when they go off to school, go off to college, when they're in high school. But I want you to know if you're an adult, if you're an adult, it's good for you because the arguments our kid hears, kids hear, are a lot of the same arguments that their parents believe. And that's where we need to be aware that, man, there is a, there is a phrase, and so Israel was attacked. So let me talk to you um, and, and about a worldview, and I may have to come back and finish this. Part B will be next week, minus the uh, flags at half mass. Um, the Bart, that's supposed to be funny. Y'all supposed to chuckle about that. So let me go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to talk to you about um, developing a Christian worldview. And, and this will help you kind of think through um, conversations that you might need to have. And in 1 Peter chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, here's what Peter said. He says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this always with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the way they slander you. 
For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. Okay, so if you notice, just let's start with the last phrase before we go back up to The reality of it is most of us in this room are going to suffer about something. How many of you have known something? I have found in my life, uh, in, in, in the occupation that I have chosen, uh, I have been really, really good to some people over the year. I've never done anything to hurt them, only to find out that they have stuck a knife about this far in my back. When I've been there in those critical, difficult seasons of life with people. That's why pastors pull away from the church. That's not been my choice. But guess what? Anybody else, that, that, that's, not, that's not just, uh, just true about my organization. Anybody in here. Have ever, anyone you ever loved, cared for, didn't do anything to have anyone stab you in the back? That's, that's, if, if you are a boss or if you run a company, you, you've had someone that's left you and tried to steal your business. You, you, maybe you did that. And, and that, the reality of it is, hey, Texas is a right-to-work state. Go, get a, you know, go, go start your own business. It's okay to do that. But the reality of it is everybody in here has suffered. So if we're going to suffer, guys... If we're going to be mocked, if we're going to be laughed at, let's be mocked and suffer and laughed at for the right things, okay? That's what he's saying at the end. He says it's better to suffer for doing what is right than doing what is wrong. So now, what is right? Now let's journey back through. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? That's a rhetorical question, all right? That's a rhetorical question. Why should anyone, the question is, why would people harm you for doing good. You shouldn't. They shouldn't, right? Let me ask you a question. Why, why would Christians be attacked right now? We shouldn't. We're just stating it, whether it comes to definition of marriage or a lot of things, right? We're just stating what God's Word says. But, 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 but the truth is we're being attacked because of the position that we hold that's found firmly in Scripture, okay? Now, we do make a mistake, I, I will tell you, as, as believers, is uh, when we act like uh, that one sin is an unpardonable sin. Same sex, uh, we make a massive mistake, okay? That is not the unpardonable sin, that is, that is not it. It's a sin like any other sin. It's a sexual sin. There are other sins that are addictive sins. You can go down the list. We just got to be careful that we don't say that's the worst one, okay? Now, but we're going to be attacked because we're holding the line, right? Well, let's think through it. Much of uh, the attacks are taking place in this nation against Christians because this has been predominantly a Christian nation. But where do they have the most freedom to deliver those attacks? Here, okay? You don't, you don't see this kind of attack going over in Iran. It's not going on over in Saudi Arabia, Arabia and Muslim countries. Why? Because we value people more than that. But valuing a person doesn't mean we can't point out a sin. Why are we attacked? Because we are going to point out the truth from time to time. Let's just be consistent. Let's don't point out that sin and ignore that one because it's mine. That's where we're called hypocrites. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Sin is a sin is a sin is a sin. We've got to be honest about that. You know, you've got alcoholism. You have some other, you know, uh, opiate addiction. Then you have a, a, a sexual sin here. They're all sin. 
They're all, and we've got to be honest about that. Let's don't raise this one up because this one repulses me. That's when people attack us. So he says, hey, who's going who's gonna to attack you for doing good? Man, we're all going to get attacked. Now jump in, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. The reality of it is, if you are simply trying to do the right thing and someone attacks you and someone uh, mocks you, you are blessed. That's the beauty of God's way and God's purpose. That if you are always constantly doing right and you find yourself on the suffering end of the sword, you're going to be blessed by God. And there are times, guys, that we're going to find ourselves in those spaces and we just got to trust God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in one of those spaces or in one of those seasons where you've been doing right, been doing right, been doing right, been doing right, but you're still suffering... Trust God, I believe this promise, you will be blessed someday. Now, if you're in a season when you're suffering and suffering and suffering and suffering, and part of it is because of your own sin, sin, God's still got an answer for that, guys. It's called confession. How many of you understand? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us. So now let's just continue to read. He says, Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Look at this, verse 14. If you're not going to fear their threats or be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So what does that mean? Instead of me being so worried about the people that are attacking me, let me instead raise Christ and place Christ as, his ult- as the ultimate position in my life. Well, then I've got lots of good examples. Take one from 1 Peter, as a matter of fact. He says, listen, when he was threatened, he uttered no threats in return. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. When others sinned, he chose not to sin. He was a sheep or a lamb led to the shot, led to the slaughter. And what did he do? He just entrusted himself to the hand of God. That's when Peter's talking about God, uh, about Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to be. So we want to raise Christ. Now let's continue. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Man, I'm a hopeful dude, I want you to know. Uh, we need to. I, as dark as things are around us, we need to be people of light. We need to be people of hope. In conversations, when people are talking about the world's going to pot and our political system's going to pot and our economy's going to pot and the morality's going to pot, it, it is. All does without God, by the way. Without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit on the people in a country's life, it's all going to go downhill. And that's where we always want to understand that we have to be the ones speaking light into a conversation. We have to be the ones speaking hope into conversation. And that's what he says. Always be ready to give a reason or answer for the hope that is in you. So if someone is talking negative and bad and you say, hey, guys, it's really not that bad. And they go, well, what are you you talking about? Say, well, I just believe that God wants to do something in my life and in, in your life. And boy, that'll start you into a conversation. And I want to give a reason. Well, part of the reason is what? Man, we're sinned. Now, here's the truth. How come there's a hope in the believer? This is where I want to talk about next week as we come back because we're at time. It's this. Everybody in life is asking and has to ultimately answer four basic questions. Four basic questions related to the Christian worldview. And this isn't new to me, but I'm going to bring some passages next week. And everybody's answer to these questions will determine how they think and how they end up. Question number one, how did it all begin? Why am I here to begin with? 
right? That's what everybody wants to know, right? Scientists want to know. Everybody wants to know. People want to talk about, is there a God? Is there not a God? Everybody wants to know where we came from, all right? Even the people who aren't thinking about it, think about it. I'm just telling you. Everybody, when they lay their head on the pillow at night, even the least deepest thinker you can imagine, don't point at them if they're in the room. Yeah, Shane just confessed. Even Shane, from time to time, had never got everybody in this room going, why am I here? How did I get here? Second question everybody has to answer is, why am I here? How did I get here? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life, right? Everybody asks the question, what do I need to do with my life, right? What do, I need? do I need to be an accountant? Do I need to be a salesman? Do I need to stay in this job that I hate? Uh, the truth is, hey, we all hate jobs. Newsflash, right? If you are ever thinking, and man, I've, I've shared this with my kids, my two that have graduated and they've, they've gotten jobs. I, I've, I've looked at them. I've made this statement, and this is a good statement, and, and, and it's a good statement. I know it's a good statement because I heard it from a smart man, and I just repeated it to my kids. And here's what it says. Basically, when you talk about the jobs, how many of you are in the same job you started in when you graduated from high school or college? You are? You're messed up. <laughs> More responsibility. But you really are. You're doing the same thing. Most people don't. Most people aren't, right? The reality of it is you don't go looking for a job to be happy. You be happy and then go to the job. Does that make sense? Your happiness is based on your purpose and your meaning in life. Everybody wants to know that. So how did we all get here? What's my purpose in life? Everybody wants to know that answer. Third question is, what's right and what's wrong? What's right? I will tell you, even people who don't come to church have a measure of right and wrong. And they have some reason for determining right and wrong. We may disagree on what's right and wrong. But I'm telling you, you ever had someone, you ever, you ever been in the debate, the one that I talked about earlier, uh, the, the one back when the same-sex marriage was a big deal and it wasn't uncommon, and I, I, I preached some sermons, I wrote some blogs about that, and the point was I wanted to challenge God's people to not talk down to the, 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 the it's just sin, okay? But I also wanted to instruct as to what God's Word says. It's, I got, ta- I got attacked a lot. I don't know if you know. That'll bring fire. From people in our church, there's not a time that I will speak on that subject that I won't get lit up in our atrium. And usually it's by someone who has a cousin or has a nephew or has a grandson. And all of a sudden their perspective on that issue changed. And they, they didn't listen to what I said. They just heard me point it out because that's the definition of a good sin, right? It's when you point out someone else's sin. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A good sermon is not when I get in your sin. It's when you get in someone else's sin and you can go, oh, I can't wait to tell my wife about that. That's a good sermon. Right? Yeah, honey, did you hear what the pastor said today? Yeah, that's a good sermon because it was lit someone else up. All right? But, but the route, what's right and what's wrong? And the truth is, take, take that one example. You say, hey, uh, so anybody ought to be able to marry anybody if they're adults. Great. All right. Should Mormons be able to, you ever ask a a lady this? Well, then shouldn't Mormons be able to marry 10 or 12 or 15 wives? Lady, you look at you and go, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, why not? If they choose to marry each other, shouldn't they be able to marry as many women as they want? I I brought that up with Gina. She's not a fan. (laughs) 
She knows how to shoot. I like my one wife. The, the reality of it is this. Everybody, guess what? They define their truth a little differently than me. They let one thing in, but they weren't willing to go further. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So everybody's got a definition of truth, and don't think they don't. What's right and what's wrong? Now, here's the fourth question. So they want to know, how did we get here? What is my purpose? What's right? What's wrong? And how do I determine that? And here's the fourth thing. They think about their mortality. Where am I going? Where am I headed? How many of you in here know you're going to die someday? How many of you don't like to ponder that? I don't. I don't. I don't like to think about it. I've already surpassed the age of my father when he died by four years. So I do walk with a sense that any day could be my last day. So I'm going to go ahead and get a kolache on the way out. But... I want to talk to us about a biblical definition of a Christian worldview, and I want you, and I hope to challenge you next week. Come back next week. I know it's after Labor Day. Some of you all will be out too late. You're at the barbecue pool. Come back 6 a.m. I'm going to answer those four questions biblically for you. Where does the Bible say we really came from? What's everybody's meaning in life? Where should we look to find what is right and wrong? And where is everybody heading? And then we will be able to engage those who are churched and unchurched with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we love God with all of our mind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, guys, uh, God, for these guys. And just um, thank you for their their fun and their wittiness that we share together. And sometimes as we journey off uh, down down paths that uh, were not planned, uh, God, my heartbeat is, is that our guys would become gospel witnesses of people who are willing to look at other people in the eye, in their family and outside their family, those who work with, and not pretend that they've always been perfect, but be honest about their struggles. But then just simply say, follow me as I follow Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. See y'all.